lot of parents um, upsize, you know, when they're planning a baby. They think, okay, we need a bigger car, we need to do that renovation on the home, we need to, you know, buy all this expensive baby gear, that sort of thing. I tell parents to do the exact opposite. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Mother Birth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Mother Birth. Laura and I are here today with a special guest from way down south in Australia. We've got Ellie Taylor here with us, and Ellie is an author and a researcher and a mom who's going to share with us a little bit about her journey to becoming a mom and the work that it has led her into um, as as a writer and a researcher. So, Ellie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I was in Portland um, earlier this year, so it's it's nice to be uh, spending some time with you again. Um, so my journey, I guess, began... I hate to admit it, but it's over 20 years ago now. Um, (laughs) I thought I was really, really, really well um, prepared for becoming a parent. It was something that my husband and I really wanted. We were actively trying. We we were well set up. It was just kind of our natural next step. And um, so I did everything I could, you know, do to prepare myself. I did prenatal yoga, did uh, private pregnancy classes, read everything I could get my hands on. And, um, you know, it all paid off. We had a, a fantastic birth experience and I left the hospital uh, birth centre. We have uh, birth centres here and left the the birth centre, you know, feeling confident and well set up. And then my husband and I had our first argument as new parents about five minutes later. (laughs) And it was (laughs) here we were arguing in the hospital car park. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, why are we doing this now? Like, um, what's going on here? And it was... um, kind of downhill from there. The the first couple of months, uh, weeks and, and months were really, really challenging for us. And we were arguing a lot. I felt really misunderstood by him. Um, I felt like I was, you know, changing on the inside, but I wasn't able to put words to to the changes that were going on. And so I started to feel really kind of disconnected from him at a time that I thought that we would be happier together than ever. Um mm. And then when I was pregnant with our second child, um, you know, despite all that, we went on to have another one. When I was pregnant with our second child, I started working as a relationship counsellor. And I was seeing client after client after client that were going through the same things pretty much at the same time that my husband and I had done. And I thought, this is crazy. You know, like, is this a thing? You know, is this, I'd I'd thought it was just us, but it seemed to me that it was happening to most of the couples that I was seeing. And so I started researching and I found that what we had been through and were still going through was common for most couples. And that was the beginning of of my research and and developing the model and the book and the classes. Um, And then when we went on to have our third baby um our youngest daughter I started writing the book and yeah that was that was the beginning of it all hmm so the book is called Becoming Us and it is really the culmination of this research that you've done into how you know having kids essentially transforms your relationships with you know with your I guess specifically your partner um can you tell us a little bit more we'll we'll come back to you know, more about your, you know, birth and postpartum transitions, but can you tell us a little bit more about the book itself? Sure. So I actively started listening to the stories of the clients that I was seeing and often they would come in with, um, you know, a conflict about, I mean, parents pretty much fight about the same things. It's finances, in-laws, not having enough sex, housework, you know, roles, those sorts of things. So, you know, Mm -hmm. couples would come in about a particular issue usually that they couldn't resolve. But one of the first questions that we ask in a a first session as a relationship counsellor is, you know, 
things must have been good for you guys to come together and be a couple in the first place. When did things start to change between you? Mm. And inevitably they would say after the birth of their first child. So mm. what I would do over several sessions is kind of track back how that happened, how they you know, change from being a couple in love enough to have a baby or, or it happened by surprise but it was, a, you know, a, a something that they decided, you know, to, to pursue with to, you know, the point where they're coming in for counselling because they can't resolve their differences. And the journey, whilst it was different for, you know, every couple depending on their circumstances, there were also some very common themes and some very common stages that seemed to be emerging. And so what I did was I started to um, kind of cross-check, I suppose, what I could see um, manifesting itself in, 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 in the room with my clients with the available research and and. That was really confirming what I was seeing was that there were some very clear stages uh, in the transition into parenthood that, you know, 20 years ago we weren't um, preparing parents for mm -hmm. and that excitedly now we are just starting to prepare parents for um, and and some huge things that um, potentially we can prevent um, like uh, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression and relationship breakdown. You know, we can actually prevent some of these things through better preparation and it's exciting mm. to, to be in this position to see that that's starting to happen. Yeah, Ellie, I know this is something that we've definitely heard from women on the show before, but it seems like there is a growing amount of preparation for labor and pregnancy and even maybe bre like even breastfeeding, which is still growing a lot, but mm -hmm. not a lot of preparation for parenting, especially parenting in that relationship. Would you say that that's true? Mm -hmm. Oh, look, it's absolutely true. And it's kind of like you've got this team, you know, you've got this professional team for you, there for you when you're pregnant and you're surrounded by, you know, most 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 people are, you know, surrounded by a professional team while they're giving birth. And then you get home with this defenceless, helpless little, you know, person that is, you know, completely dependent on you for their life and all the pressure that comes with that. And you're on your own, you know. It's like the support drops away at a time when couples really, really need it most. And here in Australia, um, you know, Pregnancy preparation now does include not just birth, but breastfeeding and you know bathing the baby and changing the baby and that sort of thing. But nothing touches on the life changes that happen for most parents, mm -hmm. the relationship changes that happen for most parents, um, primarily the couple relationship changes, but also changes with friendships and in-laws and parents and co-workers and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff that can contribute to problems in the postpartum period, including, you know, serious problems like um, postpartum depression, anxiety and relationship breakdown. Um, yeah, so we really need to, you know, I think parents deserve to be prepared for parenthood. I think there's, you know, we, we wouldn't send people into any other situation of the magnitude of parenthood without any preparation. Like, it's just crazy to me that we do this to parents. We just, you know, really drop them in the deep end um, and expect that they will cope. And we know from the research that, yes, um, many will cope, but many, many others won't. Um, and that has ramifications for, for their family. Yeah, and I think that how we talk about coping is is kind of critical too. Like, do people survive? Yes, they do. They, you know, not everybody has a complete, you know, emotional or mental breakdown. Not everybody has relationship breakdown to the extent where, you know, they, they separate or, or, you know, um, the, you know, the family unit changes in some way, but even so, like the damage that can be done during those years, I think is, is really, really understated and really under, I guess, under, um, expressed, you know, we, we, yeah. we don't talk about these things, both in our own experience as, as it's happening and after it's happening, nor do we recognize it in other people. We're, we're just not really, we don't really have that sensitivity to it in, in the way that, 
that we should. And so, yes, many people cope, but that doesn't mean that the that the collateral damage isn't still really high, you know? And coping looks different for different people and the collateral damage is different for different couples. You know, it, it yeah. could be couples that planned on having four kids and ended up only having one. It could mm-hmm. be couples that ended up just feeling resentful to their partner for the next mm. x amount of years you know a, a loss of a loss of love and you know um I, yeah I want couples to thrive I want couples to not just cope I want them to thrive and we have so much research and we have so many ways of supporting couples so that they can thrive you know coping is the baseline for me I want much more than that for mm-hmm. parents I want them to be able to build the family that they dreamed about um mm. but i but I want them to recognise that they may need some awareness, some skills and some support to get them there. Um, you know, we couples weren't meant to do it alone. They were never meant to do it alone. Um, in previous generations, there, there was some sort of village. Um, I think it's only been our generation and maybe the generation before that we've had nuclear families that have, that, that, that have done it tough because they've been on their own. Um, and the thing is, too, that those mechanisms, those support mechanisms are out there. But you're right, people don't talk about it. Um, and they don't talk about it because they often feel like it's just them. And mm-hmm. yet the research is very, very clear that having a baby impacts on 92% of couples. Hmm. Hmm. Of yeah, course it does. I mean, yeah. I feel like there's no way you couldn't think that. Yeah. I, but I understand also when you're struggling that you feel and you look and the, you know, we've talked a little bit about this a lot in, in our community in the last month or so is you look from the outside and you think, oh my gosh, they're doing so well. Or maybe your friend goes to coffee with you and tells you this really sweet story about how she was having her time sleeping and her husband got up and helped her. And you might sit there and think, I never got any help and then feel like, oh, it must just be me. But when you say that, I'm like, of course there, there will be struggles. Like yeah. we would never yeah. expect an, like something as huge as a life, a new life, not to change something. I mean, we anticipate struggles with changing jobs or moving. It's like, of course, creating a human being would cause that. But what do you think is the impetus for not finding community in it, but finding isolation? I think it's, I think it's different in different communities. I mean, I know that, for instance, in the States, you know, like you've got 52 states. We've only got eight. So in Australia, it, there's a lot of isolation because just of our geography. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, it's, I, th- I think it's cultural as well. I think that we've got this cultural pressure to be successful, to be, you, you know, to have high self-esteem, to have it all together. And I just don't think that... Um, the world's caught up, caught up or, or parenthood's caught up or preparation for parenthood is caught up. We've got so many more stresses these days. You know, like a couple of generations ago, a woman would strap her baby to the breast and go back to work. You know, mm-hmm. she had that kind of job. Now we've got jobs where women are forced into the impossible situation of choosing between their job and their baby, and that's going to produce guilt in any human being. Yeah. You know, like it's... it's we're really setting parents up for failure in so many ways, I think, culturally. Um, but the thing is that we can prepare parents for the changes. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, a lot of parents um, upsize, you know, when they're planning a baby. They think, OK, we need a bigger car. We need to put, do that renovation on the home. We need to, you know, buy all this expensive baby gear, that sort of thing. I tell parents to do the exact opposite, mm. downsize. You know, you do not need any type of extra pressure, particularly financial pressure, when you're about to have a baby. So all the, all your baby needs is your love and your arms. Um, everything else can wait. You know, the, the the bigger this, that, and the other thing can wait till they're six months, and you've you know, and you've got it by then. You know, like yeah. you've 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 got your team. You've you've used to it. You, you you've adjusted to the major changes that's when the, the pressure can come if you and choose it at that time. And at that time, you know what you really need. You know whether you actually need yeah. a bigger car or not. I think a lot of those decisions are made in, not in ignorance, but just there, there's a lack of perspective. We just don't really know what we need yet. In in so many ways, new, expecting parents don't know what they don't know. And I think that <laughs> advertisers can play on that. I think there's um, some anxiety that naturally comes with the unknowns of parenthood and some people can soothe their anxiety um, by buying the right 
mm-hmm. piece of baby equipment <laughs> and advertisers will play on that. Advertisers will, you know, offer up to you the right um, product to soothe your anxiety. But I think what we need to recognise is that this is, you know, a journey into the unknown for most parents. But, you know, there is uh, some clear indicators about the best path to take and the best things to do to prepare so that you can really support yourself in creating the family that, that you hope for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're when you're talking about this, I'm reminded of this Instagram post that I saw just this last week where the lady who posted it, you know, showed this picture of this newborn who had gotten sick and and the post was really about how, you know, we don't we don't talk about how things are hard or how they sometimes go badly or go wrong. You know, we don't talk about the things that were out of our control or that we responded poorly to or the things that, you know, would would make people maybe question our judgment or our, you know, our instincts or any of those things. And I I loved her post and and what, you know, there were in the comments, a lot of people were talking about how, um, you know, how they are not just necessarily protecting themselves in those situations, but sometimes protecting other people. And and one mom in particular said this thing that just broke my heart where she said that she experienced really, really terrible postpartum depression after her baby was born and she couldn't talk about it because her husband would, you know, basically told her that it would make him look bad. And I mean, that just broke Mm -hmm. my heart because even though I've never been in that situation by any means, I have an extremely supportive partner. I've still in like unspoken ways felt that kind of pressure that I have to protect our image or my family's image or my in-laws image or, you know, coming from a big family, I'm the oldest of 10 kids. And I feel like I have to, you know, I have to sort of put out this image of like, yeah, I'm the oldest of 10 kids. I know what I'm doing. I know how to parent. I know how to do all of these things. And it's just not true like it's hard for me just like it's hard for you you know yeah and I think that we I mean that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is to let people know that this is the reality Mm -hmm. that this that you know parenthood is challenging that these are what the main challenges are that most parents are experiencing and here's how to work around the challenges or to get through them in ways that make you stronger because we need to talk about this stuff. In fact, we are contributing to postpartum depression in other people if we don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I kind of think that as parents we've got a responsibility to make it easier for the ones that come after us by sharing our struggles mm-hmm. and giving them permission to reach out for help because it's the silence that contrib- contributes to the stigma and the stigma contributes to people not putting their hands up when there is help out there readily available for them that could make all the difference between them, you know, surviving in some cases, struggling or or really thriving. Yeah, definitely. So I really appreciate you, you know, tackling this. It's, It's challenging, you know, it's challenging to hear, it's challenging to talk about, but these are challenges that most parents are struggling with. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely what we see in every conversation. And it looks so different for everyone. Like you said, I love how you said everyone everyone copes differently. Everyone has different challenges. And I think that it's it's really important to remember that. That, you know, everybody is everybody is facing challenges. They just might be different challenges. You know, some people might have a baby yeah. that does sleep really well and that isn't their you know, that isn't their point of challenge. I think it's easy to dismiss sometimes when we, you know, when these surface things about a parenting journey look like they're easier than others to say like, oh, they have it so easy and and to dismiss that they may be having other challenges that maybe aren't so obvious on the surface. Yeah, or, or their challenges are, aren't, are yet to come. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of parenthood like an adventure into the unknown. You know, we it's 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 big. It's unpredictable, you know. It's a lot of it's out of your control. It's it's that the, the, there's lots of pressures. There's there's lots of corners that you can't see around. And I think you know, like like, like any adventure, it's it's most people will struggle with aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Some people will struggle more than others. Some people go into it more resilient than others. You know, some couples have had some big things to deal with in their relationship before parenthood. 
but parenthood for most couples comes pretty early in the life cycle of their relationship, so it's a big challenge right up front at the beginning. Um, some people have got more support systems than, than, than others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's c comparing is it doesn't help anybody. You know, I'd rather that we put that energy into into supporting people that might be struggling more, more than we are. And, mm. you know, there's so much that we can do to support parents. And I'm so thrilled that, you know, this stuff is starting to get out there and starting to um, find its way into um, birth preparation classes. Yeah. How did you and your husband Finally. find your way through this? You know, you had three children. You're, you you say you have this first fight in the hospital or the birth center parking lot after your first child is born. And, and that that wasn't, you know, something that was just fixed overnight. How did you guys really start to find your way through this? And I know, I know part of that is, is through your research and, and working with other couples, but for the two of you, really what, how did this crystallize as you, as you found a way to, to make it work? A big thing that was really helpful for me was listening to the dads, listening to, you know, my clients and hearing things from their perspective. And then I could then go home and have those conversations with my husband and just sort of feel him out around that. So I, I gained a lot of insight into how things were for him um, through listening to them. Um, so, you know, that, that was, we, we could have conversations and I was really determined um, when we had our second baby that we were going to do things differently from our first. And so I was much more assertive about my needs and about um, my need for self-care and my need for support. And so having our second baby was really healing for us. Um, as a couple because doing things differently the second time around I got to I, I guess have a do-over and heal you know the things that didn't go right the first time around mm -hmm. and I think that was even more true um, with our with our third baby so I think more than anything just being more aware of what the particular challenges were for us and then from the research and from working with my clients knowing how to manage them and just working through them again. Um, I think, you know, when you're prepared second time around, it can be a really, really healing, um, second or more time around can be really healing for a couple. Mm -hmm. So we just did things differently. And, um, and because we'd already experienced so much with the first, you know, the lines of communication were open about a whole range of topics that weren't even on our radar um, before we had our baby. Mm. I wanted to ask you, Ellie, yeah. one of the things I think about in this big parenthood transition watching my friends do this over the last decade or so is a lot of women, when they have their first child or maybe second child, but they then are now ushered into a new role because they're home. So a lot of people are mm -hmm. working until they have a baby and then all of a sudden either they're choosing to stay home for a longer period of time, but even just some, for some people, you know, in the United States, we don't get any paid leave. So most people take about... 12 weeks is, a, is about the average for people who have full-time jobs. Um, then they kind of transition to this whole new role where they're not only just a new mom, but also kind of a housewife or, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of, if you've seen, I, from my personal experience, I feel like that's very difficult for people to transition to um, on a social level, but also even on a relationship expectation level, Yeah, because now they kind of have, they have to communicate in a new way about what the partner roles are at home. If you've seen that in your research, it's just something I've seen in my life and kind of wondered if that's a trend. Yep. So that's step six. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book about that. So, you know, just, just to run quickly through what they are, you know, step one is preconception during pregnancy and that's preparing for your baby. Step two is the first month and that's building a nest the first three months is all about managing expectations. Um, step four is what I call setting up base camp. That's when the baby's about four months old and, you know, the baby's in a routine, the baby's needs are being met and it's time to turn your attention to your own routines and your own, own needs. Um, step five is embracing emotions because it's such an emotional roller coaster. Parents are so vulnerable and sensitive for a whole bunch of reasons. And then step five is what I call welcome your parent self and your partner's parent self. And that's, you know, in the first couple of years when, you know, you are transitioning from um, being a 
person to being a parent, from being a couple to being a family and all the changes that that means and the impact on a person's sense of identity and also on their self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it's something that I that I see very commonly and it's, you know, there's some guidelines around how to manage that and one of the guidelines is not to criticise your partner because we know that criticism can actually contribute to postpartum depression Mm -hmm. in both mothers and fathers and also to postpartum anxiety I've seen Um, and to support the changes that are going um, internally and to give words to the changes that are going on internally so that you can make sense of them yourself and also share them with your partner. And I know that that's something that I definitely grappled with. I did have postpartum depression after our first and I think the identity changes were a big part of it for me. Um, I went from being a professional career woman who was in control, who could make decisions for herself, you know, who had agency in the world, who was getting bonuses and, you know, positive reinforcements from her boss to feeling like just a mother, and I do just in air quotes, if you can see me, um, and feeling like I didn't know what the hell I was doing, like I was incompetent, like I couldn't even string a sentence together, like I couldn't manage to have a basic routine of showering and cleaning my teeth and, you know, finishing a cup of tea or, you know, like, you know, you're so disconnected, I think, from from yourself in the early days. I remember busting to go to the toilet for hours and thinking, oh, crap, I haven't even been to the toilet yet. Like I was so disconnected from myself and my mm-hmm. own needs and everything else that followed from that. I was lost, I was confused, and I felt really, really alone. I, I, I felt like a, a little bit like I was going crazy because nobody told me that this was a normal and common part of being in an intense transition. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the words to describe to myself what was going on. So there was no way, you know, I had the the hope to be able to to describe to my husband what was going on. Um, And then when I became a counsellor, I was facilitating those conversations between couples. And so that achieved a number of things. Um, One is that I stopped blaming my partner for all the changes that were Mm. happening, which I had recognised I had been doing. You know, in the absence of any other explanation, we tend to to blame the person that we can see um, is different. And that's because he was going through changes as well. So um, I stopped blaming him because I was able to start making sense of it, not just for me, but, you know, for my clients as well and to start facilitating those conversations. Mm. And, And the beautiful thing is... When you can have those conversations in a way that even if your partner doesn't understand what's going on for you, let's face face it, unless they're going through exactly the same thing, how could they? Which is why it's so important for mothers to have other mothers as close Mm -hmm. friends, I believe. Another reason why it's really important we talk about this stuff because it's those relationships that can really make the difference between coping and not coping, um, one of the differences. Um, that when you can have these sorts of conversations with a partner who may not be able to understand but can have empathy and who can provide support, it can take a relationship, a couple's relationship, to a whole new level. Mm. And that's one of the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things about early parenthood is the potential for a couple to be bonded in a way that they've never been bonded before. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have, so Becoming Us was a book up until um, about 18 months ago and we now have Becoming Us classes for couples and we teach couples the skills to be able to have these conversations, these really vulnerable, intimate foundational conversations that can take their relationship to a new level and it's a beautiful beautiful thing to see I love how you break this all down into stages it just feels it feels really kind of freeing and accessible to think of you know I think when when we just sort of look at this from a really 
you know, broad perspective, it can be easy to think like, oh, gosh, it's such a huge transition. It's, you know, going to be so hard from, you know, from this perspective that we're talking about it from. And then to think like, oh, we just have to we just have to, you know, manage all these things like you have to also take care of yourself. You have to also take care of your relationship. You have to also, you know, do all of these things if you want to be able to you know, to really come out of it, you know, not just surviving, but thriving. And I love that you've kind of, you know, broken it down into these different stages where it's like, yeah, you have a two week old, you're not going to be going to the gym or having date night yet, (laughs) you know, um, that will come down the road. And, and I think so much of it is really about expectations. And I think that that's really at the heart of what you're getting at, which is that, all of these transitions, all the changes that happen to your relationship with your partner, all of the different, you know, ways that you're going to now relate to the world. If you just had even an inkling of what that would look like and what you could, what you could expect to be normal and how you could expect things to unfold. And again, everyone's journey is going to look different, but just allowing, allowing people to prepare and consider the ways that it might look, it, it would make all the difference. Well, hopefully (laughs) that's, 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 that's the hope. And, you know, um, that's the feedback that I'm getting from readers and also from, from our educators. I just really wanted, you know, it's, it's so overwhelming. It's so challenging. I really wanted to create a resource for parents that could help them to identify where they are now, what the focus is for now and, you know, how to cope for now and a little heads up about what's coming, what's the next stage and how you can prepare ahead of time for that if you want to. Um, so I found that there were eight stages over the first three years. Um, so we got up to six, which was identity and self-esteem. Um, stage seven is managing differences um, and stage eight is staying connected through through all the changes. Um, so, yeah, I found eight stages over the first three years and I found that when couples had another baby, they would go back through the stages again and have the opportunity to do a, a do-over, um, which I said before was really, you know, can be very, very healing. Um, yeah, and these are the stages that are common to all, all couples. I've never met a parent that said I, this didn't happen to me in terms of a stage. Um, so that couples know that they are normal, that there are challenges, but the challenges are common and to know that there are ways around some of the challenges, some of the challenges can be avoided. Some of the major contributing factors to postpartum depression and anxiety can Mm. be avoided. Yeah, that's powerful. So, you know, and this is, it's, it's, it's incredible. And this is, you know, the exciting work that that's starting to happen. Um, So, that that's that's great for for expecting mm-hmm. couples to know yeah okay so today's episode is brought to you by birthing stone and their baby sleep coaching program Tiffany Decker, who's a friend of ours, is the founder of the company and a birth and postpartum doula, and she realized that the biggest need her families were facing was depletion and exhaustion, and so she set out to find the right tools to help them get great sleep as a family. She ended up becoming a mommy-wise certified sleeping coach. If you have a baby, you know how confusing the sleep issue is. You desperately want to get some sleep, but you also want to be sensitive to your baby's emotional and physical needs, and if you go on the internet, you're going to read a million different conflicting things, add exhaustion into the mix and it's easy to just do what you've always been doing even if it's not really working. Tiffany and her team at Birthing Stone offer the most personalized baby sleep support that is available. They come into your home and they help you identify your personal goals around sleep, what your baby's developmental needs and even personality are, and they provide in-the-moment feedback and guidance as you work together to figure out what is actually going to work for your family to get the best possible sleep. Tiffany helped my daughter and I a few months ago and it changed everything. I was so worried it would be a rigid program that would make me feel dependent on something external, but instead I felt so intuitive and I feel so intuitive about my daughter's sleep needs and I know how to adapt as she grows and changes. Being well rested means that we both thrive and we're enjoying our time together so much more. Birthing Stone offers their services all along the West Coast, primarily in Portland, Seattle, and the Santa Barbara areas. To find out if this is the right fit for you and your family, you can complete a quick application for a thorough assessment of your family's needs and goals. So head over to motherbirth.co slash birthingstone for more info. Ellie, I wanted to ask you too, I think, you know, I always cringe a little bit at identifying with the millennial generation, but I am that by my 
birth date. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that's very common in my uh, community is I hear people say, we're going to have a baby and nothing's going to change. We're going to keep the same life we've always had. We're going to fit the baby in and that's just how it's going to be. What would yeah. you say? What would Don't you worry. say to that person? <laughs> I would say that for 92% of couples, I would say for 100% of couples, but the research says that for 92% of couples, there are changes. Um, and it's change is not so much what causes the problems, but it's not knowing how to work mm. with the changes. Yeah. It's working against the changes. Um, and there are ways to work with the changes that can make them as smooth as possible. And knowing how to work with the changes can bring some beautiful things for a couple and a couple's relationship. So just to be a little bit open-minded about that. Yeah, I love that idea of working with the changes instead of against them. And I, I mean, I see the same thing all the time. And, and you do, you know, you do really see people that seem to have adjusted to to parenthood and life as a family better than others. And, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to try to speculate too much as to what that you know, what that reason is, but I wonder if at its core you is this difference between people that are working with the changes instead of against them. Because, you know, the people that do seem to just be able to throw their baby in, in the car and, you know, go on the trip versus the, you know, the one that's really tied to the nap schedule at home. And I've been in both of those boats, let me tell you. Um, you know, I don't think that it's necessarily that that second you know, that the baby that is just thrown in the car and, and goes on the trip is, has never like thrown a fit about being in the car and going with the trip or going on the trip. It's, it, it has to be some way that they are managing those, you know, what, what the shifting is. And also it depends on the baby. I mean, we had babies that we could throw in the car and then our third, we couldn't throw in the car because she hated it. So, you know, it's, I go back to the whole parenthood is an adventure thing. It's like, you know, you don't know um, how your baby's going to be. You can't anticipate ahead of time. So I would say to those couples that say, you know, nothing's going to change for us. Life's not going to change. I say, come back to me in three months' time. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and let's see where where you're at. Um, Or, 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 you know, or read step step two. Skip step one and read step two because you'll be there. (laughs) So... Ellie, one of the things I know that you talk about is sort of these different stages of a relationship that is common also to every relationship. And I wonder if you could talk with us a little bit about those. I know we've we've touched on them briefly before with you, not on this episode, but I, I was so fascinated by this this idea that, you know, relationships kind of undergo this really, really almost standard metamorphosis. <laughs> um, can you kind of talk to us about those stages? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Okay. So stage one is, is preparing for the baby. And I guess the challenge in that stage is, as you were saying, you know, couples often think that life's not going to change, that it it won't happen to us. Even if, you know, some people do have challenges, it's not going to happen to us. And, you know, the challenge is that expecting parents just don't know what they don't know. Um, And also the challenge is that, you know, like we said at the beginning is that birth classes cover birth and basic baby care, but they don't touch on life changes, relationship changes, that sort of thing. Um, so what I tell couples in, you know, that situation in that first stage is, is to talk to friends, family, co-workers who have got a baby and encourage them to be really honest with you, um, keeping in mind that your experience may be different to their experience, but at least it might give you a little bit of a heads up to some of the challenges that might be mm-hmm. on the horizon and have some some conversation with your partner about, okay, if, if let's play if, the if game, if this was us, what w- w- would we do? And, you know, that could be enough. Um, also, too, there are some fantastic doulas who are doing some great um, private education. So our Becoming Us doulas, the ones that are trained in the Becoming Us um, information, are, are out there and equipping mm-hmm. parents for the changes that are to come. So seek them out. Um, stage two is the first month or so after baby, and we call it building a nest. Um, and the challenge for that stage is couples are rushing to get back to normal, um, but normal for most people in our 
incredibly hectic, fast-paced world is too much too soon and too fast. Um, and so what we encourage is um, for couples to think of it like any sort of recovery. You know, if you had a sports injury, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd nurse it, you'd, you'd slow down, you'd pay attention to it. Um, you know, having a baby is not just a physical uh, transformation. It's a mental, emotional, social, relational transformation. And, you know, recovery takes time. And I tell couples not to aim for perfect mm-hmm because perfect is an illusion, to aim for happy and relaxed mm, instead. Love that. Like that. Yeah. Mm. The first three months is all about managing expectations. You know, Hollywood TV shows, um, made-for-TV movies do a great um, job of setting parents up for failure by, um, you know, whitewashing, um, glorifying, rose-coloured glasses um, stuff. But we actually know from research that 30% of women will say that or put down their postpartum depression to unrealistically high expectations of motherhood. So we really need to not do them a disservice and, you know, really be honest, be open um, about... um, what the challenges could be, but that, you know, they may or may not experience them. So I get couples in that stage to really think about where their expectations came from. You know, did it come from a reliable source of information? Did it come from, you know, Hollywood, from friends that maybe weren't open and honest? And also to be careful that their expectations don't turn into assumptions because when we don't voice our expectations, they tend to become assumptions. And then when partners don't, you know, live up to our expectations, yeah. we tend to blame them. And by doing that, we can really just create, you know, a wedge that doesn't mm-hmm. need to be there. So then stage four is what I call set up base camp. And that's when the baby's, um, you know, like pretty much in a routine, parents now are establishing their new new normal, not rushing to get back to normal, but hopefully working together to create their new normal. And that's where your attention, you can relax a bit, you know, like the baby's well cared for, the baby's needs are being met. You've created, you know, done a brilliant job of doing that. Time now to turn attention to yourself. You know, what are your routines? Are you eating well? Are you getting regular exercise? What are you doing for stress relief? You know, family is for life. Even if you've had, you know, a fairly easy time of it up until now, the chances are that there will be something stressful, you know, on the horizon. Um, Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody might change jobs. You might need to move states. Um, You know, who knows? You you, you can't predict. But what you can do is support yourself in coping, Um, get a a support system Mm -hmm. Um, and and really kind of bed down, I guess, the foundations for your family going forward. Step five is um, embracing your emotions. Um, Early parenthood is an emotional roller coaster, and not only are there highs and lows of emotions, but they tend to be more extreme. And most parents don't realise this, but there's biological changes that go on more for mothers but also for fathers that make us more emotionally sensitive. That's so that we can read our baby's cues and that we're motivated Mm. to respond to care for them. But this sensitivity also means that we're not only sensitive to the baby, but we're also Mm. more sensitive to each other, both us and our partner. And we need to take that into account. So um, knowing that you're going to be um, more sensitive emotionally, cutting each other some slack because of that, taking more care with how you communicate, apologising when you, you know, cause a hurt, that sort of thing, and and really making it safe to be more emotional. Um, and that's really beautiful for a relationship. That's when I can see um, relationships really starting to, to deepen as the trust becomes built um, with that safety, yeah. and that's a really beautiful thing. So then step six is what we were talking about with the identity and self-esteem yeah. changes. Um, so that's kind of off the back of the emotional vulnerability. A lot of these stages lead into the following stages. And so how the previous stages are managed will determine how the next stages kind of unfold. Um, So, you know, couples that are arguing more, who are having misunderstandings, who 
especially are competing in their roles and I see that a lot like you know I'm the one that earns money I'm the one that looks after Mm -hmm. the baby and you know who's worked harder today that's really going to undermine self-esteem and that's really going to um, negatively impact a person's um, parent identity and we know from research that that can affect their parenting so how a person feels about themselves as a parent often you know, um, as a reflection of how their partner feels about them can then in turn affect their parenting. So we really want parents to support each other um, in their roles. It's Mm. really, really important for a whole bunch of reasons. Then step seven is managing differences. Um, You know, parenthood is a game changer. Arguments aren't so much about right and wrong anymore. They're about two parents' points of view, both of which need to be respected. Um, you know, parenting is a lot about finding middle ground and about being willing to find middle ground and about being open to blending to sometimes very different backgrounds, beliefs, upbringings, goals, whatever. But the fact is you have a child together and your child is equally dependent on both parents and in a few years' time you're going to have a toddler there or a child there that is waiting for mum and dad to make a decision so they just know who the heck they're going mm. to not disappoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. You, you, we don't want to put kids in a situation where they're going to side with one parent and disappoint another parent. So parents, you know, approaching conflict as a parent is different to approaching mm. conflict as a partner. And uh, we want to be able to support parents with, with, that, um, with that difference because yeah. that makes a difference for the kids. So now we're up to, you know, the first couple of years, I suppose. The last um, three or four stages really unfold over the first couple of years of parenthood and the final stage is connecting and staying connected and reconnecting with a partner. Um, There's so many situations and challenges that are going to divide us um, and it's knowing how to turn back towards a partner and reconnect with them once a division has happened or how to stay connected even better through all the changes that, um, you know, are going to happen right up until the teenage years. Um, that's the good news is you've got plenty of time to get this right um, because, you know, the kids are going to be around for a long time and uh, and there's plenty of opportunities to stay connected and to reconnect. So that's probably yeah. my favourite stage. Yes, I love that. I'm wondering, too, you mentioned earlier that, you know, everybody goes through these stages, whether it's, you know, doesn't matter who it is, but also you mentioned that it's true for first-time parents and it's also true for second-time parents. Does anything shift when you're going through these stages with a second or third or, you know, beyond baby in terms of, you know, some of these seem like they're a little bit um, time defined in terms of, you know, the first stage kind of being around that first month or, no, the first stage being preparation and then the second stage being that first month. So those are a little more time defined, but some of the others are are a little bit more contextual. Um, do you see differences between, you know, families that are having their first child versus second child in terms of how they move through these stages? Yes, I do. And, you know, it's mainly because they're just more aware. They're more aware of what the actual reality is. They're more aware of what the challenges are. Um, And so where they're aware and then they use that awareness to make changes second time around that work for them both. So we're talking again about working with the changes Mm -hmm. rather than against the changes you know, things can go more smoothly. Um, And, you know, like I've seen mums where, you know, the dad's sort of, you know, become almost primary carer of the older child because she's been, you know, mainly focused on the newborn and, you know, some beautiful new dynamics coming out of that when when there's four instead of three. Um, That tips again when it's three kids, I have to say. The dynamics change again. So the the dynamics change with with, with each child Um, and it seems to be that an even number is is easier than an odd number. Um, But in terms of the couple relationship, um, it can be very, very healing um, and I have to say, we're talking about for all families. This this is for heterosexual couples. This is for you know g- gay couples. This is for couples mm. who have adopted also go through the stages. Um, you know, mothers. Um, I don't know if we've got the research for fathers, but I know that we have the research that mothers who adopt can yes. experience postpartum depression. Um, and also, 
we have researched that um, mothers can still have symptoms. In fact, they can have more symptoms of postpartum depression when their eldest child is age four than in the first 12 months, as was previously thought. So it's not something that... Wow, I experienced that. And I, I'm just like, as you're saying that, I'm realizing, I mean, okay. age four was my, just absolutely my hardest year with my son. And there were other things going on for sure. Yeah. But um, that's so interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, I think it's an accumulation, you know, like I think it's... I, I, I think that that was true for me actually too with with my with my third maybe um, so yeah it's um, you know we, we 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 screen now thank goodness in Australia and I think you're about to get screening in the in the US um, at about four to eight weeks um, but yeah it's uh, that that was a piece of research that came out um, last year or the year before here in Australia so and that resonated with me too mm -hmm. so I thought it was interesting as well. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you that you referred to, to earlier, Ellie, was we now are kind of ch the shift in age of parenting is also yeah. coming. But as you said, most people are becoming parents early on in their relationship. So whether regardless of their age, maybe their relationship is very young. And I'm kind of wondering if you see that any difference between younger parents and older parents or, or people that relationships have, yeah. that have lasted. Yeah that I've waited to have children further on into their relationship. Is there any difference in that? Sure. There's both differences and similarities. I think the challenges are different for people who have, you know, children younger versus older, mm -hmm. but there's still challenges. Um, the similarity I see is that, um, and most parents, of course, don't realise this going into parenthood, that relationships, long-term relationships go through three major stages and the first stage I call coming together which is like you know the romance stage and you know everything's wonderful and hot and heavy and you know it's all great but that naturally wears off between six months or two years longer if it's a long distance relationship and then couples go into a stage which I call growing apart which is when differences start to creep in and conflict levels usually raise. Now, this is also the same stage that couples usually yeah. start having a family. Um, you know, they've been together for a couple of years um, or at least, you know, a, a year or more usually. Um, not always. Um, so they're naturally going into a stage where the differences are going to creep in anyway and they're adding a baby to the mix, mm -hmm. which brings even more differences. So there's... Two big reasons why, at least as part of antenatal classes, we need to be preparing parents for parenthood because it's going to happen. You know, regardless of who you are, how old you are, where you are, who you're married to, you know, it's, it's just mm -hmm. dynamics. It's relationship dynamics. Um, so for a whole bunch of reasons, you know, we, we need to start including this stuff into preparation. Yeah. For so when couples don't start, don't start a family until they're in one of those, you know, let's say they, they actually wait until after that growing apart stage and are more in that growing together stage. How do you see those families evolve and, and kind of, take root in comparison to the more typical, you know, example of a family that, that starts or a couple that starts a family during the growing apart stage? Yeah, they tend to do better. They tend to do better because um, they're more mature. And I don't mean mm -hmm. in terms of age. You can have a very mature couple that are quite young. I mean, in terms of their awareness levels, their emotional maturity, you know, they, this is a couple who have um, often been through periods of adversity, either individually or as a couple, and who have, you know, maybe sought some sort of counselling or support or whatever, but they can be emotionally vulnerable with each other. They can be open and honest with each other. They've, they've already, you know, um, they've already developed that ability to go to that level safely, and they, mm. they're the couples that tend to do best is that they're in that growing together stage, that they, they know how to manage differences, yeah. they're not frightened by differences, 
they know that it's just, you know, the two, two people's point of view and, you know, it's up to us to find middle ground because middle yeah. ground is where children live, yeah. you know. It's where they grow up. They grow up in the middle ground. Um, so you need to cre create as much middle ground mm -hmm. for them as yeah. possible. Um, yeah, so it's, it's th these couples tend to, tend to do best. Yeah. So that seems like that could be a factor in why some families, by the time they're having their second or third or, you know, fourth child, that they are a little more stable and a little more able to make that transition peacefully, if I can use that word, because maybe they have moved more into that growing together stage as opposed to when they had their first child, they were more in that growing apart stage. Yeah, that makes a lot of Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. I can Absolutely. see that in my own yeah. my yeah. own life and my own family as well, just you know, it, to some degree, there's just a little more, little more ease, you know, with the, with the second. Yeah, absolutely. And there's ways that we can facilitate that, or there's ways that couples can facilitate for themselves. Moving from growing apart into growing together is, is, is intentional. You know, it can be intentional. It, it can be, yeah. let's, let's move together into this stage and, yeah. and there's ways to do yeah, that. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. And ideally... Right. Before the next baby, you know, that's that's the perfect time is before the next baby. Okay, this is how we did things first time around. How do we want to do that differently? What do we need to to equip ourselves with in order for that to happen? Yeah, I think definitely there are times where you would be looking at your relationship and evaluating it and saying, like, we need to accelerate, you know, this this stage if, if, if we want to yeah. think of it that way, you know. And it's absolutely possible. Yeah. That's encouraging. Mm -hmm. Ellie, I wanted to ask you, yeah, most of the women, most people who listen to our show are women. And if you had any kind of tips or advice for initiating this kind of conversation. So yeah, maybe it's a woman listening to the show and is like, I completely identify with this. I'm struggling. I feel like I can't tell my partner that I am not necessarily postpartum depression or anxiety, but more of I feel really alone and I feel like we're growing apart and I don't know what to do. Yeah, sure. How, like some tips for initiating that conversation. Yeah, sure, sure. It's hard to do. It takes courage. I, 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 I get that. Um, I would encourage them to first have that conversation with themselves. So to have an internal conversation, to check in with themselves. What What do I need? What You know, what do I hope to get from my partner? Um, so that I can I can be clear, um, and to initiate the conversation. I've got a whole lot of guidelines in the book, so I, yeah. I, 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 it goes for pages. Buy the book, so, everybody. <laughs> there's, I, I, there's, there's guidelines in the book and there's steps in the book. So I'm just going to give you a, a couple of them because I can't remember them all at the moment. But it's 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 go inside, find the words that you want to say in a non-blaming way. You know it's. If it comes across as blame, you're going to shut your partner down before you've even got to the to the guts of what you want to tell them. So mm -hmm. it's really about finding the words in a non-blaming way and asking your partner for what you need. And I'll just give you an example. I remember one day, I don't remember what the situation was, but I remember being in the kitchen and saying to my husband, I'm going to tell you something um, and and I don't blame you for it. This is just how I am at the moment. And all I need from you is a hug. I don't need you to say anything. I just want you to hug me. And so I told him whatever it was. And he started to say something. I said, I just need you to put your arms around me. And he did. And he just held me. And I think I probably ended up crying. I can't remember. But hmm. most men, if your partner is a man, actually really appreciate direct, yeah. <laughs> straight to the point, communication. Um, and I tell couples when I when I I'm, I'm not counselling anymore, but when I used to work with couples, we used to you know practice in the session postpartum communication. Most uh, m most men really appreciate that style of communication. You know what drives them crazy is when you know um, their partner's just thinking out loud, but they can't do anything about it, or they can't you know solve a problem or whatever. So if you can put it to your partner that this is not about you, I'm not blaming you, I'm just feeling like this because of this and could you please give me a hand tonight or give me a hug or cancel this, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just put it that simply. You've really got to simplify it, choose your timing and, and, and don't blame. Yeah. 
Well, and I think that do it. Yeah. And just do (laughs) it. it. Cause that's the thing. It's, I think a lot of times so much of what's going on both on the surface and below the surface is really just because we're not talking about what we need. We're not, we're expecting our partner. And I think women really tend to do this. We're expecting our partner to read our minds, (laughs) to know what we need. And it's just actually not possible. Yeah. And I remember some, someone once telling me that the essence of every fight in a marriage relationship or committed relationship is someone thinking, why don't you think just like me? Mm. Yeah. And I've, I think I really hear that and appreciate that about your perspective because I feel like right now there's a ton of like what to do and how you can do this and how you can make your baby sleep and how you can be satisfied and how you can not have postpartum depression. But your complete outlook is not about doing all of these things so that then you then you will have this outcome it's about becoming or being in that relationship yeah and being being an being an instigator of these conversations being a receiver of these conversations and really doing that intentional work to to really communicate so it's not like oh if you do this then you will get this it's more of like if you create this space and you create this dynamic you are more likely to continue that throughout your relationship, throughout parenthood, Mm. throughout the rest of your life. And I love that about this language and this training and this perspective, because I think that that is such a missing piece of early parenthood. And I just thank you so much for that, Ellie. Yeah. Well, I thank you for saying that. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about what you just said. I really appreciate that. You know, it's about you're right. It's about it's about growing and growing together and growing a family. And growing is 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 a doing. You know, a yeah. doing and a being. It's mm-hmm. it, it it it's not about problems and solutions. It's about embracing the changes and embracing your partner. And it's about being open to the adventure of it and stuffing up and making mistakes and throwing perfect out the window and, you know, just figuring it out together as you go. And there's some beautiful, beautiful things that can come out of that. Um, you know, our culture, our society is, is is just so, makes it so difficult for parents, makes it so much harder than it needs to be. And I think it's really about couples kind of just saying, tuning all that sort of stuff out, and this is part of the nest building stage, is tuning all of that out and saying, this is our home. And what happens in here is how we want it to be. And it's what works for us. And we're going to figure it out. And we're going to figure it out together. And just really rejecting all that cultural societal um, pressure and, 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 and giving ourselves permission to fail and giving ourselves permission to get it wrong and stuff up. And, 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 but creating some beautiful family foundations for our children to fail and stuff up and be you know, not perfect. And, you know, it's, it's about, it's about being differently so that you can have this little being grow and, and be themselves. And yeah. 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 Oh, we we love it. We love it. (laughs) So Ellie, we will, we will be encouraging everyone to get your book and we'll share um, a link to that in the show notes on the blog where, when this episode goes live, but there are also a number of people who listen to the show who are birth workers, whether they're midwives or doulas, or, you know, it's some, some way related to, to the birth community. So can you just share a little bit more about the, the becoming us training so that anyone that it, that it may be applicable to can, can check out that information as well. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it because I love, love, love what we're doing. Um, can I tell you too that my book won an award last week? I'm so excited. Oh, that's that awesome. was one of the reasons why I haven't slept because <laughs> uh, the book won a gold nonfiction award, award. So I was really, really happy about oh, that's that. Awesome. Um, for me, it's more, it's not so much a recognition of me and the book, but a recognition that that this is a thing mm-hmm. and that it's a problem and that it needs to be addressed. So I'm, I'm hoping that the award will bring more attention to the issues that, 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 that we need to address. So I'm, that's why I'm delighted. Um, so our Becoming Us training is an online training for professionals who work with expecting or new parents. It's perfect for birth professionals, for therapy professionals, social workers, um, we've even had um, some life coaches do the training. We've had some business coaches do the training that work with new dads um, and new mums. Um, it's to train professionals in the Becoming Us model um, to raise awareness of the challenges for couples and parents in each stage of the Becoming Us model and how to use um, 
the skills and the dynamics um, to support couples through the stages in in various different ways and to and to prepare them. So. If you work with um, couples before the birth, you can use uh, the information to prepare couples. If you work with couples after the birth, you can use it to support them um, where they're at and also for the stages that are to come. And I'm really excited. We um, our, our pilot phase is finished now. Um, we had, I think, 120 facilitators all around the world in our pilot phase. Um, our very first Becoming Us classes for expecting parents are currently happening in Legacy Hospital in wonderful Portland. Yeah. Um, they are scheduled through till um, I think at least halfway through next year. In December, we will have Becoming Us classes for parents who have, I think, a baby less than 12 months. Mm. So there will be so there will be Becoming Us classes for expecting parents and Becoming Us classes for new parents. Um, and We've got a couple of other things in the pipeline too for, for becoming our classes. So it's just it's it's been incredibly well received. It's extremely exciting. I'm just thrilled that this information and the support's getting out there. That's amazing. So yay, Portland! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we yeah we are so excited about that too. And so I just kind of wanted to so that people listening could have a little bit better grasp of what the you know what the training and the classes are. Then we can share that information as well for whatever people you know have access to. Whether some some of it I know is available online and some of it is more local. So we'll make sure to to delineate those things so people can see what's available. Um, Ellie, thank you so much for your time today. And I know it's uh it's. In, it's the morning for you, even though it's evening here. Um, thanks for getting up and, and greeting us with the sun <laughs> um, and and for your time and just your wisdom that you're sharing with, with the people that listen to this show. We're, we're so grateful for the work that you've done and the way you're able to to just kind of approach this this subject with such compassion and grace. So thank you for your time and, your, and your, um, what you've shared with our listeners today. My absolute you, pleasure. Thank you for creating the space to talk about this stuff because we need to do it for the sake of our future families. So I really appreciate both of you for making this happen. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.